Welcome to another episode with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and the entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore in the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. This week on Market Dominance Guys, Chris Beal is once again flying solo while Corey Frank is out traveling the world. Chris's guest today is Helen Fanucci, Strategic Accounts Global Sales Leader at Microsoft, and Chris's fiance. The topic today veers away from competing with other companies for market domination to competing with other companies for market talent. It's just another result of our almost year and a half of working from home due to the pandemic. People now want flexibility in where they work and when they work. Helen explains that because of this, managers have to manage and hire differently today and provide the flexibility that workers might prefer. We have to manage for outcome and results, she says. Not just how long people are spending in the office. Companies need to understand how to get the best out of their teams, building in that flexibility so that people want to continue to work. Another change is the necessity of asking how your team is doing on a personal level. Helen tells Chris, if members of your team aren't doing well, how can your company meet customers' needs? Employees exercise more power now with their decisions to stay at their current job or look elsewhere for a company that is willing to meet their needs. So it becomes imperative for managers and companies to be the kind of people that employees want to work for. Want to know more? Then listen to today's Market Dominance episode. Will they stay or will they go? Hey, everybody. Welcome to an unusual episode of Market Dominance, guys. For one thing, we are missing my co-host, the estimable, maybe inestimable, I don't know how to estimate him, Corey Frank, who is off somewhere. I don't know if he went off on this cruise ship behind me or if he's doing something else, but he's not available today. And so we're going to have me play the host. And with me today is Helen Fanucci. And full disclosure, Helen Fanucci and I are engaged to marry each other. That's how it works as you marry each other. It's not <laughs> like it's not passive voice like to be married. It's active voice, right? Because we're active people. And Helen is working for Microsoft. She calls herself a sales manager. I think that's accurate. She is a sales manager, but she manages some really, really big strategic accounts at Microsoft. But Helen has a substantial career in sales and sales management, also in marketing, and actually an MIT trained engineer, mechanical engineer, which is pretty unusual in the world of sales. So Helen, welcome to Market Dominance, guys. Thanks, Chris. Delighted to be here and delighted to be here with you. It's pretty cool. So, Helen, we've been talking on Market Dominance, guys, for 80-something episodes about one thing, which is dominating markets in terms of competing for customers and particularly competing for markets. So, markets are all those collection of customers that are interreferencing. So, if you sell to one, you lower the risk and the cost of selling to every other single one within the market. You have been looking at the world of successful companies being successful and being successful as a sales manager and being successful in all these ways in a completely different way, basically turning the lens around almost exactly 180 degrees and talking about something that we have literally never mentioned on Market Dominance, guys, which is how the world is structured now with regard to companies competing with each other. 
And your thesis appears to be that companies are now competing for something completely different from customers, and it's much more important. So first, tell us a little about how, what that view is, and then kind of how did you get to that view, and what, what led you there throughout your career? Why would you think such, such unusual thoughts? Well, thanks, Chris. So you're right. We used to compete for customers, and now we're competing for talent. And the big sea change that's happened is um, really accelerated by the pandemic. So during the pandemic, it became painfully at times clear that what really mattered as a sales manager, sales leader is how my team was doing. If we individually aren't doing well, we can't possibly serve our customers and do our best for our customers. And so the expectations of employees has really changed. And we probably would have gotten there eventually. But as Satya said, a few months after the pandemic started, that we did two years worth of digital transformation in two months. And I think it's largely the same with the relationship between employee and company, employee and manager. So when I say employees' expectations have changed, there's a lot of data on that now. They expect to be known personally, first and foremost, and their whole life included, not just a work life. We used to think of going to work as to be professional at work is to not talk about personal things and just talk about work things. That doesn't cut it. And that's an outdated notion. And so employees like flexibility. So we compete for talent and the expectations have changed. So 73% of respondents in a survey want flexibility of where they work. 92% want flexibility on when they work. And so as uh, we're a great example, by the way, Chris, The day after Amy Hood, Microsoft CFO, said, hey, returning back to the office, and this was May 2020, returning back to the office after the pandemic will also have a component of choice. And so we looked at each other and we said, well, let's buy a house in Port Townsend because I'll have a choice of whether I go back to the office. So it gives us the flexibility of not just living in Seattle, but we can live on the Olympic Peninsula overlooking Discovery Bay and looking out towards Victoria, Canada. So that trend's happening all over the place. And then I have employees that actually want to work from different countries from time to time. I have an employee that asked about working in India for a month. Family, he lives in California, but his country of origin is India. And so I said, sure, because if I don't start providing that flexibility, they're going to go work for somebody who does. And so this idea of coming back to the office is really, it's not going to happen. The genie's out of the bottle and it's not going back and employees aren't going back. And the genie is granting the employees in a lot of way, all knowledge worker employees, sort of their ultimate wish, right? Which is you're kind of in charge. I mean, you can choose for whom you want. We always used to say it's a free country, but maybe suddenly it's a free world with regard to employer-employee relationships. And that 
seems very new. And if I was recruiting at one point in the Bay Area, I'd be either recruiting from people who already live in the Bay Area or people who are willing to move. And if they're willing to move, don't they have to move their whole family? So maybe I'm getting them before they are married and have kids or whatever it is that might be binding them together, but maybe not. And do they have to uproot their spouse, their kids, the school, all that stuff? I think that's the way it used to go. And now it's like, huh, now the employee gets to make that call. They might love me so much, you know, oh, I really want to come to work for Connect and Sell in Los Gatos, California, which by the way, we don't do. Connect and Sell, we just let you work wherever you want. But they might love me that much, but that love is a tax, right? I've got to actually raise the bar to get them to love me so much that they'll move close by to work physically together. And somebody else might say, no, you can work wherever you want. You know, work for Helen Finucci. She'll let you work wherever you want. You would outcompete me in that case, all else being equal. Of course, your company's much more, got a lot of good qualities, Connect and Sell's a bit of a pain in the ass to work for. But you get my meaning, right? Are you seeing this play out in practical ways already with regard to, is it more with regard to retention or is it with regard to attracting new talent? Or is it both equally? Like, what are you seeing play out already that's really impacting folks' ability to compete in the marketplace because they have the talent that they need? Well, the first order of business is retaining talent. Because why hire new talent if you can't retain the ones you have? And so I think the data is 4 million workers quit their jobs in the month of April. And so that's huge. And Every employee is probably thinking about quitting, if at least checking out what's out there, because there's so many jobs available. I think it's like 9.3 million jobs or something like that available. And so retaining is first and foremost, and retaining requires flexibility. And so a company I know that I'd rather remain nameless is requiring their workers to come back to the office. And in fact, it's been told to me that their CEO counts cars in the parking lot. And what they're experiencing are workers, employees are quitting left and right. They're not going to put up with being required to go into the office. So counting cars in the parking lot is actually emptying the parking lot. Wow. I know. And they're having a tough time retaining talent. So that's a real example. It's happening now. You may have heard about Apple and Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase wanting to require workers to go back to the office. That ship has sailed, so to speak, no pun intended, with your beautiful ship (laughs) in the background. Hybrid work is here to stay. We actually compete with everyone around the world for talent because we can hire from anywhere and they can work from anywhere. It opens up a competitive landscape. So while you might say Microsoft is competing with Google and AWS and Salesforce and all these tech companies, in reality, all of a sudden overnight, our competitors for talent are really all companies, including Connect and Sell. You may offer such great flexibility and training and skill development in what you do that I can't hire SDRs at Microsoft because you develop people in a way that we can only dream about. 
as an example. So then you become our competition, even though from a product point of view, we don't directly compete. So yeah, it's happening all over the place. Retaining talent is first order of business. Also, we're seeing municipalities, states, and cities now flipping from trying to attract companies to come work for them to attracting workers to come work in their location. Just yesterday, I was on the phone with a colleague who lives in greater Minneapolis and has a house in northern Minneapolis, whereas he said there's more deer than people up there. He's now seeing job listings that list jobs in northern Minnesota where there's not really any companies. He says, oh, it's all work from home. You can work here. The job is up here where you want to live. And then the job actually corporate headquarters or what have you is someplace else. The other thing that I think that we miss a lot is if we are requiring people to come back to the office or not requiring them to come back to the office as it actually is going, as a sales manager, I might say, oh, well, I need somebody in California next to the customer so that they can go meet with the customer. But where are the customers? The customers aren't going back to the office either. So one of the phenomena I think we will see is that we'll probably organize travel differently. And so we'll probably have fewer in-person meetings with our customers. And when we do travel, we'll travel to bigger meetings. Maybe it's an executive briefing that's held at Microsoft corporate headquarters, or maybe it's a hotel near the customer's location or at the customer's location, but people are flying in, both the customers are flying in and the sales team. We have an annual sales kickoff meeting that traditionally has happened in Las Vegas every year. Now we, we haven't had it in person last year and we're not having it in person this year either, but those could be catalysts for meeting in, in person. And maybe those kinds of get togethers end up being extended but I think we'll see less travel overall because that's part of the, also the change in expectation. People want to travel less. They want to work from home. They don't want to commute. We used to commute by planes, trains, and automobiles, and now we commute by logging in. But there is a cost to all of that, to the logging in and working from home that has become researched and evident that these back-to-back meetings, the data shows that 70% of workers are working three hours more a day. It's just been relentless. I notice that my calendar, when I block it, it doesn't get observed and people wanna meet with me nonstop. And so one of the things I've ended up doing is um, setting a default in my Outlook settings so that when I schedule, quote unquote, what was a half hour meeting, it's only 25 minutes or an hour meeting is only 50 minutes because it is really essential for brain health and well-being that we take breaks. And Microsoft Research did data on that and showed the degradation of cognitive function and the increase in stress just by doing three back-to-back meetings without any break and what it does to your brain. 
And so we've got to work differently and workers and the talent is demanding that different expectations and the different ways of working be in place in order for them to go work for the company um, that has the jobs. So I think we've got to get a lot more creative. And what this also means for managers is that we've got to manage differently and hire differently. We've got to think through the menu of flexibility and choices that a given group of workers might prefer. And when we're managing them, we've got to manage for outcomes, impact, and results, not just showing up in the office or activity doesn't equal results. And so I'm going to pause there because I've said a lot of things, but those are some of my thoughts about kind of how things have changed and really what are some of the core components on the war for talent. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every single day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears were shed while watching Titanic kind of qualified. And we're back with Corey and Chris. That's fascinating stuff. As I think about it, I always think about, you know me, I always think about like, what's the one thing somebody can do to screw something up or to do it well? And often when we keep doing the same things we were doing before inadvertently, when there's big changes, because big changes don't happen very often, but when there's big changes, we have a hard time shedding old habits. And so as we, as you look at this world, that uh, you're basically saying the world is turned upside down. It's almost like, I, I think there was an episode of Market Dominance, guys, where I talked about the fact that sales, as done traditionally, is an outgrowth of factory capitalism. So the idea was that factories get capitalized with a bunch of equipment and enough cash to be able to have working capital in order to buy raw materials and they had access to a supply chain and then they made widgets and the widgets must go. They got to go into the market, right? So what do we do? We dump the widgets, so to speak, into the territories and the salespeople take care of turning the widgets into gross profits that then come back to the company. And we did all sorts of things called discounting and, and having specials and bundles and this, that, and the other thing to try to move the damn widgets because the widgets otherwise pile up. And we spent money to make something that we don't get any money back for, right? And now the world has changed to where companies like yours, like Microsoft, I'd say Microsoft leading the way. And, and Microsoft and Apple, probably the two leaders in this, turning the world into software. Basically, software eats the world, and now everything is software, including physical products, become very software-like. So we don't have a lot of inventory. And so my point was, hey, here we have this change, which means we, ch- we should change how we sell. And we shouldn't just assign territories and dump inventory into it. But you're saying there's a different change entirely, which is it's not how we sell, it's who's on our team to help us sell, whether they're sellers or somebody else. 
And I hate to say it, people are going to think I'm some kind of a lunatic, but in a weird way, it's almost like Karl Marx is finally right. That is, the means of production in the world of sales and, and other things has actually fallen into the hands of the workers. It's the products that you guys make at Microsoft that let workers like me, for instance, working today with my data concierge who's been on the show, Tom Zhang, we're, we're working together for Connect and Sell, right? But we actually had the power to do that for anybody without having to pick up and move. So that power shift seems like such a big deal. So what do you see all of us doing, no, failing to do, failing to shift in our own mindset or our own actions or how we organize to keep up with this massive change? Because it's such a massive change. There's no way we're keeping up. We have to be blowing it. So how are we blowing it? Okay, so a couple things there. So the Karl Marx analogy might be a step too far. The power has shifted to the workers, yes. However, we still need an organizing collective that is called a company to help structure and organize the output productivity of the workers. I'll just say it that way. Then it probably sounds all factory work and I don't really mean it that way. So for example, me as a manager, I need to make sure I'm understanding how to get the best and the most out of my team. And my team as an extended team, I have about oh, 600 people that touch my customers. I have a, a big territory, global strategic accounts, et cetera. And so we have kind of a more defined set of accounts we focus on, but how we go about our job and how we organize that is really critical. And so building in that flexibility so that people want to continue to work. And by the way, as I said a few minutes ago, about 4 million people quit their jobs in April. And so if you have nobody to do a job, it doesn't matter how you organize the work. And so from that point of view, the workers have, have power. And in fact, just a quick digression or story, my daughter left her job in January of this year, and she's not going to go back to a company. She left her job to pursue her dream, which is starting her own business with her husband. And there's a very low barrier to entry. They are creating an app and a, an approach to help parents of young children be able to employ behavioral modification techniques to basically help the parents be better parents. And they're doing it through technology and asynchronously and enabling a parental therapy, if you will, for behavioral modification at scale and at a lower price point. So she's never going back to an office. So we've got to be sensitive that employees have a lot of choice. And so, yes, they have power that way. But we have people in roles and we have coordination that needs to happen in order to serve our customers. But none of that actually is possible unless you have a foundation of a corporate culture 
And one of the things that Satya did when he first became CEO of Microsoft in 2014 is he started addressing the Microsoft culture because he knew that we couldn't be competitive and change if we didn't have a strong culture. So there's a lot of work that's done in terms of expectations of being inclusive, hiring diverse talent, and being inclusive means that people feel included, not just they're on the team. You can hire diverse talent, but if they don't feel included, they'll leave. And so while we used to expect sellers to meet their quota and that was sufficient, it's no longer sufficient. So for example, you also have to behave consistent to our cultural expectations. And if you're leading a team or interacting with others and it's not consistent with the culture of inclusion and trust and valuing others' points of view, then that's a problem and you end up, me as a manager, I end up needing to address that. So I would say that the employees have the power, but then it becomes imperative for managers and companies to be the kind of people and the kind of organization that the employees want to work for. And that includes more and more employees want to work for companies that are taking a stand on social justice issues or DACA, have principles that are consistent with their values. It's more complex, I would say, than it used to be to attract talent. And it's across many more dimensions. One of the things that we did in Microsoft US, it's an organization of about 10,000 sellers and managers is our president, Kate Johnson, brought in Brene Brown and everybody from corporate vice presidents to directors to individual contributors all got trained on Dare to Lead. And one of the things that we learned is, because we want, we want to have more courageous sellers and leaders. And one of the things we learned is that there is no courage without vulnerability. And so what does it mean to be vulnerable? That's a scary thing for folks. And then as a manager, how do you have empathy for your team? And empathy as distinct from sympathy is about really putting on the other person's shoes and understanding their situation. And so all of that becomes super important in order to build a culture where people feel valued, can communicate. We had a whole module on clear is kind and being clear in expectations and being able to, as Brene would say, rumble with vulnerability, like have tough conversations because tough conversations actually in, in a respectful way unlock innovation and new possibilities. So things have dramatically changed but we can also carry that to our customers because our customers are struggling with these things too. And so I actually spend quite a bit of time talking to customers about our culture, the changes that we've made, why it matters, how to build teams, how to retain teams, how to manage teams remotely. 
So there's a lot to unpack here, but those are some of my, I guess, not so short thoughts on the subject. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.